0: Welcome back to another episode. Today, I have a good friend of mine, Phil MacArthur from Windrift Real Estate, part of Compass. Ah, uh, he's you know he's a longtime friend from Suffolk days. We recently reconnected the last year. Ah, uh, so great to have you on, Phil.
1: Thanks, Idrit. I appreciate it. Uh, we' it's definitely been quite a few years since we were in the library at. A, Suffolk University.
0: Sawyer yeah. so so Library, right? Yeah. The uh, library. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. And so you're in real estate, you know, I mean, little did we know we both somehow got, you know, 100% involved in real estate. How how did you get started or what was the moment that got you started? And then we'll talk maybe about uh, how did you start Windrift, But what was the moment that, you know, like you're like real estate is it?
1: <laughs> yeah. So I don't have any family that's in real estate. Uh, I was at Suffolk my freshman year. I was on the basketball team there and was the 12th man bench warmer. Uh, loved playing. My goal was to make a you know quote unquote college team, which Suffolk was division three. Uh, yeah. And then I ended up hurting my back. But Laying around, kind of being around the gym still. I was connected with uh, Mario Massimino, who was working for a big top producer at Warren Residential at the time, and he suggested I had mentioned that my real or my uh, basketball career was going to be over after the after this year, and he mentioned that I should get into real estate, um, start selling rentals downtown to most of probably. Um, You know, students that we knew's parents were paying the broker fee commission for me uh, for the first year or so at Suffolk. And uh, that's how it kind of more or less I got into the door. My business began to grow within the first couple of years where a lot of my business ended up coming from moving into a condominium building in uh, Fort Point, which is kind of part of the Seaport District. And I geo-farmed that building and began to geo-farm that neighborhood uh, when when that neighborhood was really just becoming a thing. 22 Liberty wasn't even built at that point, which was really the first residential condo building uh, within the Seaport District. And um, from there, you know, my previous business partner, Sarah, and I, who still have a great relationship, decided to split at the end of last year after six years together. And I've just started Windroof Real Estate which is my own real estate team that I'm beginning to grow um focused Congrats. between Thank you man thank you it's been a quite a quite a couple weeks now getting it up and going but more or less you know we're we're transacting residential uh, real estate between Boston and Rockport Massachusetts and Newburyport That's awesome
0: Bre- Break break down what is geo farming what does that mean
1: yeah, so anyone that's looking to just get into the industry, I personally think it's one of the most important things to begin to do. Um, I coincidentally didn't know what it was when I had when I was doing it, but more or less, the area that you live in or the neighbor you know the the neighborhood or area that you live in, or if it's you know within the city, a condominium building, just focus on reaching out to the prospects within that little small geographic area. Um, you're likely going to see them on the street a fair amount of time, one. Um, and two, you already have something in common with them, right? You live within the same type of community. So, so good.
0: So what do you do? you like mail out or do you do like, um, is, is it mostly mailers or you're just like reaching out like to, you know, like you're in a coffee shop in the local area introducing yourself?
1: Yeah, there is three things that I kind of really looked that helped me farm and scale my business. One was the mailers. Um, but I would do kind of like, you know, bare bones mailer that was a white envelope, um, handwritten, you know, contact information on it. And I would sign each individual newsletter that I would print out and mail out to them. Personally, I thought that it was going to be a little bit more of something that I would want to open opposed to kind of just like the real estate postcard that's, you know, high gloss, everyone gets them all the time, and then it's immediately in the trash. I figured I might have maybe 10 seconds of capturing um, a prospective client if they had opened it and looked to see what it was, opposed to just, you know, seeing the high gloss, putting it in their hands, and then, you know, immediately putting it in the trash. Um that was one of course you know kind of just being around the neighborhood showing up to neighborhood association meetings um again you know i i kind of got in and got some luck here where the fort point was really just beginning and the seaport district was really just beginning to grow yeah so just you know also a little bit of timing and luck on my side there
0: yeah i mean it's like i think we all make our own luck right i mean if you made no efforts probably would have been a a completely different story for you but you obviously put in the time the work you know like showed up to meetings uh probably you know like wined and dined with many people and you know like it's the nature of the industry but there's still many doubters of real estate and you know like i feel like you you got all these like people on tiktok instagram oh we have a recession now is not a great time to buy. You know, like eh, there's so many like bad headlines that 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 I feel like fear kind of take over takes over. What would you say to those? I mean, like for people like doubting whether real estate is, you know, the good the right thing for them, whether it's whether it's um, you know, buying for themselves or investing or becoming a real estate agent, for example, what would you tell them?
1: Yeah, you know, personally, I think there's, I'm a person that is very much into like a growth personal mindset uh, within, you know, my own physical health, my, you know, business, X, Y, and Z, right? Um, I personally think that real estate is one industry where you can kind of bounce around and continue to grow and pivot a number of different ways, right? Um, from a real estate agent, you could easily become a real estate investor buying multifamily property, uh, which is something that I've been doing over the past couple of years. Um, and from there, you could begin to getting into fix and flips. Um, there's no real science behind real estate, right? Uh, because so much of it is local. It just takes the, the first step to get out there. But in regards to whether to buy, you know, a single family or multifamily, um, as your first investment or as your first purchase, I don't think you can go wrong either way. And I think so much of it just depends upon where that individual person is within their career, within their life. Do they have kids? Um, you know, where do they see themselves in the next three years? Right. Um, and you, Over time, real estate has always kind of been that one, you know, in it has just really always been a really great investment where it's usually just constantly, if you look over a 50 to 70 year period of time, just continues to increase.
0: A hundred percent. And you made a great point where if you're becoming a real estate agent, you now getting these off market deals, you understand your local market even better and people come to you with deals, Right um so so it's it's fascinating and um you know like i mean you could take advantage of it and start investing or you could bring it to one of your, your clients or developers and say hey i got this deal for you and little do you know but you just made you know a small cut or something out of that transaction whether you're investing in it or you have other people you know like uh investing in it
1: yeah, definitely. There's a lot of power behind holding a real estate license, in my opinion. You do have to put your time in. I'm not just telling everybody to go out there, you know, do the class, pass the exam, and then just get your real estate license because you're going to kind of be like a fish out of water unless you spend some time kind of really understanding the nuances of the business. Um, but then you know, I view what I do in the team that I'm building as a business and for myself, 10, 15 years down the line, like I don't want to necessarily be selling real estate. I want to be building, you know, single family homes or, you know, 40 unit apartment buildings, right? Um, growing constantly over time. But I have such a great client base that I can then pass off to experienced agents at that time um, and still get a little bit of a referral fee off of that. And I think that's where. Uh, the value begins to be created as a real estate agent, growing some sort of business. Um, you know, whereas most people kind of just once they're done, they get out of the business and hopefully they saved up enough um, or are going to be moving into a new career to to make some more money.
0: A hundred percent. A hundred percent. One thing that I noticed, and we've spoken about this, especially during the pandemic, you had a lot of newer real estate agents and loan officers as well, actually, as a matter of fact. And there was this, you know, like, oh, people thought it was easy to make money, right? I mean, in reality, you got to put in the time, the work. We know, I mean, it's, you don't get, you, you may get lucky with certain things, but I think you create your, everyone creates their own luck. I feel like there there was a there's a lot of agents and loan officers. They start first year, they're like, oh, I'm gonna build my own team, right? Yeah. Oh, um, and you know, I think I'm partially guilty for that. I've been in a loan officer for four and a half years. And when I started at guaranteed rate, uh, my previous company, one of my goals was to have my own branch. And build my own team but you don't realize that you may not be ready right uh you may not have the right contacts in the industry you you know people may not know who you are what you're doing uh or what you know like you i have experience because i was in banking for for 10 years but i feel like there was a lot of the narrative uh, during 2020, 2021, people thought it was easy to make money in real estate. And all of a sudden, oh, I want to grow my team. I want to build a team. And it's not easy, right? It, you, you know, I mean, you, but you've been there for six years, right? Six, seven years before you took that leap of faith to jump on by yourself. Uh, but one of the things that was hard for me being a producing branch manager for two years with GR was the fact that you know it it was tough to to build a team on your own you know like a hundred percent you you can have your office you can have your branch but to like start it by yourself it's tough and unless you get like some support on the ground it's it's tough.
1: Yeah, definitely. And you're almost beginning to transition your role within the business, right? Um, whereas now, if you open up your own branch, or I have I begin to scale my own team, you know, I'm really not able to focus, or most agents, I don't believe, are really able to focus so much on servicing the client and now have to begin to really, you know, pass off business um to those team members to one keep them on, of course, because they need something to to keep them busy. Um exactly. But, you know, it, it you you begin to really kind of change the dynamic um unless you do spend that time building your own career and now you're beginning to attract people that are, let's call it in like residential sales, um five million, six million dollar producers. Uh, that want to scale up to 15 or $20 million producers and view that being part of your brand um, gives them that benefit um, in those opportunities to do so, um, where you could still be servicing your own clients at that point, because that agent's not going to be as green and is not going to require as much, um, you know, hands on support. But, you also need to be able to get to that position of probably doing 30, 30, $40 million a year in real estate.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I I think you can can get there, but don't forget of your core. Like, I think you probably need to be a good 5 to 10 years in the industry to like really solidify yourself, your brand, your name, people know you uh be- before you can like start building like growing your team because like you said you hire someone they may be looking for a lead right yeah. they may be looking for training guidance support um uh, and you could split your 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 clients or commission which is fine you can hand off one of your clients uh but if you don't have any leads if you haven't like grown your business over time for people to keep referring you or your social media or whatever, you're gonna be stuck. You know, you're gonna hire two, three agents. They're gonna be like, what the hell am I doing here? You know, like if there's no support, there's no structure. Um so it's it's a it's a tricky one, but um and I know we're 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 kind of like going on this uh topic, but I think it's important to learn, uh learn the business first, grow your business. And and then, you know, get to a phase where, you know, you're growing a team under you um,
1: Yeah. I, I think every, so much in life is always about like sequencing, in my opinion, of like, you know, taking the right steps, but you don't want to necessarily limit yourself from waiting too long or getting into your head of waiting too long to kind of take that step. You know, I think there's that, there's so much, There's so many people out there, sales managers in our office that are able to assist and kind of help begin to grow your own business um, from the back end side of things to be able to help you scale and decide on when you actually need, you know, an an additional agent, you know, that to to take some of the business load off of yourself.
0: Exactly. Exactly. That's a good problem to have. Yeah. (laughs) Um. What are what are some of the challenges you're facing in this environment?
1: Yeah, so what we're finding is more or less quite a few buyers that I've been working with um, that have come back, say, let's say from mid-December. Uh, we usually see an uptick in middle of December, early January of people re-engaging, wanting to look to start uh, to buy or sell their home. Um, and What we see, what we've been seeing is that activity has been coming back up, um, but quite a few of my clients that I've shown property to in the past couple of weeks are looking at like really great properties for themselves, a lot of what they're looking for, um, but they're not just yet ready to pull the trigger on properties. Um, I've seen the market in the past couple of weeks really kind of tick back up with what we've been seeing with homes go under contract. Um, And just demand and, you know, buyer demand at open houses I've seen tick back up the past couple weeks, which I, you know, you're you're in the mortgage game, you know, right, like mortgage rates have come down um, a little bit from where they were at their high. But I think also buyers and the consumers beginning to feel a lot more confident that rates aren't going to go up another two mortgage rates aren't going to go up another 2% from where they are right now. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of that initial fear and concern of where rates were gonna go from what we were experiencing last fall has really kind of subsided. I'm expecting a pretty busy spring market this upcoming, you know, March, April, May. I agree. How is
0: inventory impacting you? Cause I feel like that's that's the biggest issue. I mean, and we're I think we're we're back down to like under a million homes in all of US. Obviously, every market is different, but I feel like there's nothing out there, you know, like yeah. there's not
1: many options for for people. So so inventory of course is way super low still. Um and I would say of course, you know, the suburban inventory, suburban market inventory has been low since COVID. Um people, you know, didn't want to move that we we missed that migration of people moving from the suburbs into the city which really kind of bottlenecked I think a fair amount of Uh, Metro West Inventory, North of Boston and South of Boston Inventory. Um, I'm not expecting that to increase. What we have been seeing in the city is also a limited amount of inventory, but we've been seeing a limited amount of inventory within the city of Boston for the past six years. This isn't just a COVID issue um, on the inventory. It got worse. It got worse. But but
0: Yeah. yeah, no, I remember even like 2018, we, we spoke about inventory even yeah. in 2015 when i bought my first home the first two family uh that we that we had which we sold uh in 2021 uh but even then like there were maybe like five or six two families in all of quincy right and like you didn't have many options never mind now
1: yeah so. it and and i think that will continue to keep values Um, level to some extent around the, you know, the Northeast I think is always so solid, right? Opposed to parts of Phoenix or, you know, Vegas, parts of Florida, right? Um, I think we're very fortunate living where we live from the real estate values perspective on things. So I think the limited inventory will keep prices pretty stable. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some sort of value increase over the next 12 months from where we are right now. Um, And, you know, It'll be interesting to see if we do get any kick up in in inventory uh, this upcoming year. I'm always kind of interested in seeing where seven-year fixed arm rates are and where the majority of those bulk purchases or refinances were initially locked in. Um, Because if there's a seven-one arm that's going to be expiring within the next 18 months, you know, now that person's mortgage is gonna, you know, interest rate is gonna go from three and a half. Let's call it, they locked it in 2020, mm-hmm. to now maybe six percent, you know, five eight five, if not higher. You know, is that gonna propel them to actually end up selling their home? Um, if they're gonna be adjusting into a similar rate and then they can take some equity out and buy a bigger property or relocate to a different area.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think. Those decisions are coming up for many people, you know, especially people that have a home equity too. I would mm-hmm. say, if they borrowed a couple of hundred thousand for whatever needs they had, they were, you know, beginning of the pandemic. I mean, for between like 2010 to 2020, HELOC rates like were super super low, three to four percent on on average. I'm gonna say, now that's double, yeah. right? <laughs> Uh, which is which is kind of insane. So you have a lot of you have a lot of helocs maturing, those from 2010s till now. That are it's usually a 10 year interest only period, and then it becomes a fixed rate. So those fixed rates, if you don't refinance it, even if you refinance it now, you're going to refinance at a higher rate. But if you don't refinance it, it's gonna like get stuck in a you know six seven eight percent. Ah, so I think a lot of people. I don't. I don't think we've seen a lot of the data yet, but I'm sure a lot of people are kicking themselves for borrowing something that was not fixed. And this is what I tell my clients too. With HELOCs, use it for a short term project, a defined period of time one to two years, three years max, that you have a plan how to pay it off. You could borrow and pay your, your school loans with a HELOC, but if it's a hundred thousand and then it goes from a three to seven percent, which in a lot of cases they have done now mm-hmm. for variable rate HELOCs, you're you know, like that 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 interest payment is is going to more than double every uh every year. So you may have gone from a $500 payment a month, interest-only payment a month, to a $1,200. So right. it, it, it can make a huge difference. And, and I'm sure some people, just like ARMS, you know, they're thinking with with their HELOC, hey, what should I do? I mean, do I want to keep my house? Do I want to sell it? Uh, I think the economy overall is still strong. People have money. There's still a lot of job openings. You lose your job today, you're likely gonna find a job, you know, within a week or so. Yep, I agree. So there's, you know, like we're we're you we've spoken about this. We're nowhere near any 2008. You know, like the, the the financials are completely different this time around.
1: Yeah, which is good, and I think that you know should give more people comfort to get in, even if they think that prices are high you know, again, where we are in the Northeast, you know, I really don't think that values are going to decline anything significantly, if any, right? Yep. Um, so if somebody is looking to jump into the game of buying a single family, a condo for themselves, just do it. You know, my favorite, you know, line is always, you know, buy real estate and wait, don't wait to buy real estate, right? You know, again, just over time, it is appreciating over time in this in our markets here. Um, and it's tough to, to kind of argue against.
0: I agree. I agree. What are, what are some opportunities locally for, for anyone from Boston listening to us? What, what areas do you think in, in Massachusetts people should, you know, keep an
1: eye on? Yeah. Um, you know, downtown closer to Boston, I still think parts of Dorchester in East Boston are great value. Medford as well. Um, kind of just these secondary markets outside of downtown, I think, you know, over a five to seven year run is going to be a, see a lot of development in movement, new restaurants coming in um, as the city continues to grow. Legos is of course going to be relocating um, headquarters huge. in 2026. Huge news for huge. us, yeah. Um, you know, it's good to see that there's still large companies looking to move closer into to Boston. Yeah. Um, and you know, outside of the city, I'm a huge proponent of Gloucester, Massachusetts. Um, I grew up in Rockport. So I think that's just a really, really great community um, that has a lot of value. There's a lot of um, commercial space downtown that still needs to be revitalized. Um, Jim Davis of New Balance has been putting quite a bit of money into restaurants, um, the Beauport Hotel, Um, you know, I think that's one market that's really solid for first time home buyers to get to look into, um, as well as communities like Stoneham, um, north of the city, kind of where we do the majority of our work, Stoneham, Danvers, Peabody, um, all really great markets that you can get in and out of the city. Let's call it no traffic within 25, 30 minutes.
0: That's awesome. No, thank you for, for sharing that. And I, I, I think we're going to need more new developments with all these companies moving in. They've been moving into Boston the last 10 years, more and more uh, big companies, you know, I mean, obviously we have Google and Apple and Cambridge, uh, which they've been there, not like headquarters, but they have offices. And, um, you know, like, but you, you, you now have companies like Lego bringing in their, their North American uh, headquarters in Boston, which is super huge. cool. It's huge. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that could be a thousand jobs, right.
1: You know? So, and I, yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things, you know, about our market and I've harped on it being in the Northeast, I think is just great. in on a little bit more of a micro scale, you know, Boston in greater Boston, you know, of course, we've always had the healthcare with all the hospitals and we always had the universities but I, I really believe that Boston's trying to become the Silicon Valley of pharmaceuticals. Um, and I think that's something in the next 15, 20 years that we're gonna see Boston begin to brand themselves as, as like the Silicon Valley of pharmaceuticals and you know all that high-end tech you know, development behind medicine, um, just expanding off of the hospital in healthcare system that we have here.
0: I agree. I mean, healthcare, no doubt, you know, like we're, we're, you know, like one of the top notch places to be at, but even tech now, I mean, you got what Boston robotics, you, you got so many like cool, cool companies right here in Boston. And listen, I mean, families moving in, you know, like into Boston, like they, they value that they, they value the good communities we have good schooling for the most part most of massachusetts has decent schools and education yeah. um so it, it's like you for companies you check off all the boxes right uh yeah. i mean as as a parent of three kids myself you know like you think about these things you know like maybe you don't when you're not a parent but once you have kids you're like well you know like this is important this is important so and this is not a coincidence that big companies moving in is they want to give this value to their employees, um, and they can retain them for longer. And uh, it it may cost them more money to do business in Massachusetts, um, especially with the real estate, but it it pays off in the long run.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you can probably name just on one hand large metro cities you know we might be the only one honestly that you can get to an international airport from the core of the city within 15 minutes right True. having logan airport so close to downtown boston i think is one of the, kind of an x factor for the city that's really overlooked quite a bit from um an area that's going to look to draw you know organizations into and you know what does that mean i think that continues of course you know home values continue to increase um in hard assets around you know massachusetts are are in you know even new hampshire parts of southern uh, maine you know are are all benefiting from that
0: oh a hundred percent a hundred percent i think we need to look at our i mean i know we're talking about mass now but We need to look at our infrastructure, too, uh, because I feel like, you know, the T, you know, like they can do better things. But, you know, it it can't happen overnight, you know, like with growth, you're going to experience these challenges. uh, But I think it's definitely one of the best pockets in the country to be in. Um, You know, if you're just starting out, you know, there's opportunities. If you have a family, there's plenty of opportunities. If you're retiring You know, like you, you got many great spots, the Cape, uh, you know, which we haven't spoken about too much, but um, you know, like a lot of New
1: Hampshire and not have state income tax, right. Exactly. Uh, You go up to the lakes up there and you're an hour and 15 minutes from downtown Boston, hour and hour and a half from, you know, some lakes up in, up in New Hampshire, which is, which is crazy. Um, So I'm optimistic. I have an optimistic outlook for, the Boston real estate market and greater Boston real estate market in 2023 as I do. And I'm even more bullish on these markets in 3033.
0: I agree. I'm with you. Let's go. Yeah. Hey, listen, I appreciate you. This has been awesome. I'm sure we're going to continue the conversation at some point. Where can we follow and support you?
1: Yeah. Thanks, Sidra, again, for having me on. Um, Instagram is the easiest way to get a hold of me. Um uh, that's gonna be Windrift Real Estate, W I N D R I F T Real Estate. Um, follow there. Always a couple like quirky little videos that I always put out. Um, a lot of love that. Out a lot, yeah, just to kind of it, it's funny. I don't know. <laughs> um, and and uh, a lot of try and put a lot of knowledge out there behind the numbers, which I think is most important and something that I kind of geek out on.
0: That's awesome. I appreciate it. I'll put, I'll put, uh, your links in the show notes once it's ready. uh. so your website, your Instagram handle, so people can go and make sure to follow you. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate Appreciate you, brother.